The following sermon is by Boyd Johnson, pastor of Treasuring Christ Church in Athens, Georgia. More information about Treasuring Christ Church can be found at tccathens.org. About a dozen years ago, an atheist group issued a challenge targeting young people called the Blasphemy Challenge. They encouraged people to post a video on YouTube in which they record themselves blaspheming the Holy Spirit, denying the existence of God, and otherwise declaring themselves past the point of no return and willing to accept any consequences in the afterlife should it turn out that God exists. And this atheist group said that for the first 1,000 who took up this challenge, they would send them a DVD. The DVD was free, but they wrote, there's only one catch to get this DVD. There's only one catch. We want your soul. It's simple. You record a short message damning yourself to hell you upload it to YouTube, and then we'll send you a free DVD. It's that easy. The Blasphemy Challenge. The Blasphemy Challenge was aimed at Jesus' words found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And because Jesus says this sin won't be forgiven, it's also known as the unforgivable sin. The sin in which there is no pardon. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. How many took up this challenge is difficult to know, but it went viral with even celebrities taking part. These videos can still be found on YouTube, I think, by the hundreds. Many of the videos are of youth who, staring into the camera, defiantly declare such things as, I deny the Holy Spirit's existence. Or, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Did these people when they recorded these videos, condemn themselves to hell in that moment? Is that what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is? A declaration that you deny He exists. The question of what the unforgivable sin is, is a question that many Christians have struggled with. Some Christians have worried that they've sinned so greatly while a Christian that salvation has been taken away from them. Other Christians have wondered whether the dark sins of their past, the darkness that they committed before they became Christians, before they accepted Christ, before they believed in Jesus, would those come back to haunt them 
in a sense, and prevent God from accepting them. And you yourself might have wondered what the unforgivable sin is as we've studied John's Gospel. Though John doesn't explicitly mention this sin, at various points we see that the Jews who heard Jesus' teachings and witnessed His miracles became so hardened in their hearts that they were beyond the point of repentance, beyond the point of salvation. For example, we saw in John chapter 12 that despite all the signs that Jesus did publicly for the world to see that were irrefutable, they would not believe in Him and therefore God judged them so that they could not believe in Him. Their would not believe in Him transformed into a could not believe in Him. And I get that from John chapter 12, verse 37, where John writes, though he, has done, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what He heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, therefore they could not believe. They would not believe Therefore, in judicial hardening, God made it so that they could not believe beyond the point of repentance. So what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And what makes it unforgivable? And is it a sin that someone can commit today? Those are the three questions we want to answer. And we'll find the answer to those questions in Mark chapter 3. One of the three times Jesus mentions it, again, the other two times being found in Matthew and Luke. Beginning in verse 22 of Mark chapter 3, the Jewish scribes had come from Jerusalem to Galilee in order to soil Jesus' name. Jesus' fame has been spreading spread all over Galilee, spread all over Judea, spread even beyond the Jordan, all over. Because of the miracles He performed, particularly His healings, His teachings spread, but the news of His healings spread. And people were coming from all over the land in order to be healed by Jesus. Some had diseases lifelong. Some had recent diseases. Some were possessed by demons. And great crowds now follow Him. You could say that Jesus was a sensation across the Jewish world. His fame would have been spread wide. And the scribes, most of whom were Pharisees, sought to put an end to it. They didn't want His fame spreading any longer or any wider. And so we read in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, 
he's possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. The strat- strategy of the scribes to put an end to the fame of Jesus and all the crowds following Him was to turn the crowds away from Jesus by claiming that His miracles were done in the power of Satan. They were running a ploy straight from the playbook of Satan himself. A pastor acquaintance of mine over in Atlanta recently wrote, that in order to destroy a man's ministry, you don't actually have to convince people of his badness. You just have to make people suspicious of his goodness. Satan has been using this strategy from the beginning, causing Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness in the garden. And since then, it's been effective at ruining the name of many good ministers of the Lord. Don't attack him as a bad man. Just sow seeds of suspicion that he isn't a good man. No one could deny the good that Jesus had done in such a short time. He healed many people of crippling diseases in which medicine had no cure. The healings were plain for all to see. The testimonies were everywhere. Who could argue that what Jesus was doing was bad? No one. So the scribes sought to destroy Jesus' reputation in a different way. They spread a rumor that he isn't good. In verse 22, they spread the rumor that he was possessed by Satan and healed by demonic power. Perhaps they said this in the synagogues and out loud wherever, wherever the crowds gather. At other times, perhaps they just whispered. Do you know the truth about Jesus? Have you heard? Have you heard about Jesus and how He really performs these miracles? Just sowing seeds of suspicion so that people doubt His goodness. But Jesus 
countered with the obvious error in their accusation. And it takes up most of the rest of that first paragraph. Jesus couldn't be in collusion with Satan because he was actually destroying Satan's work by overcoming the effects of sin when he healed and by casting out demons from Satan's victims. If he was casting out Satan by the power of Satan, Satan would be fighting against himself, is Jesus' argument. And no one does that. Satan wouldn't destroy himself. Satan wants to win. That's why he does what he does. He's out to win. He won't destroy himself. So the scribe's allegation couldn't be true. It wasn't logically possible. It made no sense. But what the scribes had done in spreading this false rumor, what they had done in lying about how Jesus did His miracles, was more sinister than any in the crowds realized. In verse 29, Jesus revealed that their accusation was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which could not be forgiven. So again, as we focus our attention on verses 28 and 29 and 30, we'll look to answer these questions. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What makes the sin unforgivable? And can someone commit the unforgivable sin today? So first, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The word blasphemy in Greek, which the New Testament was written, is a general word. But especially when it refers to God, is a kind of extreme slander. Blasphemy also often goes along with gossip. You could say in one sense that blasphemy is a kind of gossip against God. It's to deliberately speak evil against God by claiming what isn't true. The heart of blasphemy is lies. And the father of lies is the devil. So blasphemy comes from Satan. Blasphemy lies. Blasphemy defames. It's to deliberately speak evil against God by claiming what isn't true. And the penalty under God's law, according to the Old Testament, for blasphemy was death by stoning. Leviticus 24.16 Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. No exceptions. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So all blasphemy against God is serious and it's deadly if not repented of. But blasphemy of the Holy Spirit isn't, it isn't ordinary blasphemy. Ordinary blasphemy can be forgiven. Jesus says in verse 28, 
Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes blasphemies they utter. In the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. In other words, every sin and every ordinary blasphemy that is confessed and repented of will be forgiven. And we have examples in the Bible of people who have blasphemed God yet were forgiven. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, wrote this, Formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul, at one point, was a blasphemer. But because of the mercy of God... He came to repentance and he confessed that sin and therefore the sin was forgiven. Peter also blasphemed when he denied knowing the Lord. You remember when he was confronted about being a follower of Jesus, Peter, according to Mark 14.71 began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. To invoke a curse and to swear is to call God as your witness. It's as if he were saying in that moment, God is my witness, I don't know Jesus. And so his denial was a lie and irreverence toward God. You can't call God as your witness in that situation. It wasn't true. God always speaks the truth. And therefore, his denial was a kind of blasphemy. And yet, as we'll see at the end of John, the Gospel of John, Peter is restored to Jesus. His sin forgiven. And this isn't just Peter and Paul who have blasphemed. Truly, we're all blasphemers. We've questioned God's goodness. We've questioned His wisdom. We've questioned His love. We've questioned His faithfulness in dark times. All that is to speak evil against God if not out loud in our hearts. We have thought and said things that soil God's name, whether in anger or in sorrow or in jest. We're all blasphemers. And yet all these can be forgiven. John writes in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. To confess is to say the same thing about sin that God says. It's to speak the same words. Which starts as an acknowledgement that blasphemy is sin. 
We confess our sins. He's faithful. He'll forgive us. It's what He does. But there is a kind of blasphemy that cannot be forgiven. And Jesus tells us about that in verse 29. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. That it's an eternal sin illustrates that it's not one that can later be forgiven. It's a sin that lasts forever. A sin that's never wiped away. A sin that goes on. There is no pardon for blasphemy directed against the Holy Spirit. All other blasphemies, they can be forgiven. But not this blasphemy. No, it cannot be forgiven. It goes on for all eternity. Now, Jesus doesn't define what it means to blaspheme the Spirit. He says nothing more about it. But we can discern what it means by the context and by Mark's inspired commentary in verse 30. And by the way, his inspired commentary is inspired by the Holy Spirit who teaches us what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. He says in verse 30, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. In other words, the reason Jesus brought up blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was that verse 30, they were saying that Jesus has an unclean spirit. The scribes were blaspheming against the Spirit, that is, speaking lies about the Holy Spirit, because they were saying that Jesus was empowered by Satan, an unclean spirit. But Jesus wasn't empowered to do His miracles by an unclean spirit, He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not an unclean spirit, the Holy Spirit. You can't get more opposite than that. Go over to Matthew chapter 12 and look at the parallel passage in Matthew 12. We won't look at Luke 12.10, but that's another parallel passage. But look at Matthew 12, verse 28. And Matthew records that Jesus also said during this episode when he was talking to the scribes, most of whom were Pharisees. The Pharisees are mentioned in Matthew 12. Jesus also said in Matthew 12, 28, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, we've learned that word if in Greek has nuances, and the idea here isn't that Jesus is setting up a hypothetical. You know, consider the possibility that I might be doing these casting out of demons by the Spirit of God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, essentially, since it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there Jesus is acknowledging that He cast out the demons, He healed the sick, and He performed the other miracles by the power of the Spirit of God. 
And as we learned a few weeks ago in John 15, the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus and He empowered Jesus to do these miracles for what reason? To attest Him. To prove Him true. To act as a witness. In other words, when Jesus did these miracles, this wasn't a social justice campaign. He wasn't healing everybody. He didn't go throughout the whole world to heal. His healings were localized. He healed some, but not necessarily everybody in the kingdom or in the land. What was going on? What was going on is that Jesus did these miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was testifying to to the truth about Jesus. The miracles proved Jesus to be true. They proved His claims that He is the Son of God, that He is very God, that He is the Christ. The scribes knew of Jesus' miracles. They knew that the evidence pointed to Him being God. But they refused to accept what they knew to be true and instead maliciously attributed the Holy Spirit's work to an unclean spirit, Satan. They received the greatest revelation of God in the person of Christ, in the Incarnation. And they received the clearest testimony about Jesus through the miracles empowered by the Spirit. And yet they deliberately and willfully rejected Christ and didn't leave it there, but spread the rumor that He was demon-possessed and did the work of the prince of demons. This is extreme hard-heartedness. To attribute the Holy Spirit's work in Jesus to Satan. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They knew. They knew that it wasn't by the power of Satan he was doing these works. And yet they attributed his works to Satan anyway. And in that sense, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 32, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. You could blaspheme the Son of Man, but you couldn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. Why? Is the Holy Spirit greater than Jesus? No. But if you're among the crowds, you're among the scribes, you might speak against Jesus and His humanity, but to speak against the clear signs of deity in Jesus, when you know that God is among you, and you know that the work isn't being performed by demons, 
That cannot be forgiven. It is willful, deliberate rejection and attribution of the works of God to Satan. Now, what makes that sin unforgivable? It's unforgivable because they knew what they were doing and persisted. And in their hard hearts, their hard hearts were so made up so that they would not repent and therefore they could not repent. They had decided not to walk down the path of pardon, which was confession and repentance and belief in Jesus. They had made up their mind they will not walk down that path of salvation. If salvation means walking into and through Jesus, they will have none of it. It's not unforgivable because Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient enough to save them. But they were out to destroy Jesus and were too far down the path of darkness to turn back. All sin confessed and repented of can be forgiven. No sin is too great. No sin so heinous that it exceeds the merits of Christ's payment on the cross. But this sin could not be forgiven because they would not turn from it and repent. All sin repented of, forgiven. But this sin would not be forgiven because it would never be repented of and confessed. They had already gone too far and the blackness now had enshrouded them. So can someone commit the unforgivable sin today? Well, we first have to acknowledge that the Jews of Jesus' day were in a unique situation. They saw the work of the Spirit, His witness, through Jesus' miracles firsthand. They didn't read about it. They saw it. And they had the ultimate disclosure of God and the incarnation of God's Son, Jesus Christ. To see Jesus is to see God. So they had the highest revelation. The greatest revelation. The light shone brightest in their day. And to reject Jesus under those circumstances. And then to go even further and maliciously attribute the Spirit's work to Satan is ultimate hatred of God. And that situation is not repeatable. It was unique to the time. Accordingly, the specific sin of blaspheming the Spirit can't be committed today. Because the situation isn't repeatable. But, even if the sin Jesus was referring to isn't repeatable today, the condition is. 
the condition of the Jews' hearts is repeatable and happens and is happening all over this world right now. In principle, just like those scribes, a person could become so hard-hearted toward God and willfully unbelieving that they cut themselves off from salvation. That is, just as the scribes were resolute in their rejection of Christ, despite all the evidence, a person today could do the same. Receive the light through this gospel witness through the Scriptures and be so acquainted with it and yet willfully, deliberately reject it and become so hard-hearted toward God that the blackness has enshrouded them. Just like in John 12. Just like in John 12, the passage that I read before, John 12, 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he, what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. They wouldn't believe. And at some point, God judicially hardened their hearts so that they could not believe. That is repeatable today. And the author of Hebrews warns of such a situation in Hebrews chapter 6. Go to Hebrews chapter 6 towards the end of your New Testament just before James. The author of Hebrews warns of this kind of falling away after having drawn near in some sense so close to salvation yet not in. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. It is impossible. Note that word. Impossible. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, received the light of revelation, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. In other words, these are not people who have been saved and now get unsaved. These are people who have drawn so near to the truths of God as to experience its fruits and yet have stubbornly refused to believe. They've had a tasting of the goodness of the Word of God. 
They've shared in the Holy Spirit. That is, they've experienced the fruit of the Holy Spirit among believers. They've been enlightened. That is, they've understood the message of the Gospel. They've understood that there's a God. The light is shown. They've tasted the heavenly gifts. They've drawn near to the truths of God and experienced its fruits, yet have stubbornly refused to truly believe. Despite the knowledge of the truth that they have, they won't believe in Christ. And for people like this, according to Hebrews 6, there's nothing that can be done for them because they've settled it in their hearts to disbelieve and they've rejected the path of pardon. That could be the fate of any unbeliever who persists in rejecting the revelation of God. That doesn't describe every unbeliever, but it certainly could be the fate of any unbeliever who draws near to the truth and then turns away. Like who? Like Judas. Like Judas. Judas is Hebrews 6. He drew near experienced the fruits of the kingdom, experienced the power of God, was enlightened by the truth of what Jesus taught, and yet he did not believe. He would not believe. He rejected the revelation of God that was before him. And so did many Jews of that day, and so do many unbelievers today. So, No believing Christian need fear that either before salvation or after salvation, he has committed the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is not you sin so bad that God can't possibly forgive this. It's not the unforgivable sin. By definition, Christians trust Christ and believe the words of the Spirit. Therefore, the unforgivable sin doesn't apply. And even the tenderness required in the heart to even ask the question, have I committed the unforgivable sin, proves that the person hasn't hardened his heart to God. Because if they've hardened their heart to God, they wouldn't even care. And strictly speaking, The youths who committed themselves to the blasphemy challenge that I told you about earlier and posted these videos to YouTube didn't commit the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit either. Because blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not I deny the Holy Spirit or I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It's not those words. It's not even to deny God's existence. That can be repented of. But their hatred of God and defiant attitude could certainly lead them to the point where their hearts were so hard that they could not turn back. So while blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as we define it isn't a present danger, hardness of heart still is. And so again, the author of Hebrews warns everyone in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or a disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. We must pay close attention to what we've heard and not neglect such a great salvation. Revelation brings responsibility to respond rightly. It always does. When revelation shines through this book, when revelation shines, it brings the responsibility to respond in the right way. And failure to do so brings judgment. And so we must walk in the light while the light still shines. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, that is, if you haven't thrown yourself on Christ and repented of your sin, then today is the day to do so. Because you may be taking steps yet this very day on the pathway to hell and unable someday to turn back. Don't count on a deathbed conversion. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you must respond. When you hear the revelation, when you hear the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for sins, and that all who trust in Him for the forgiveness of sins and turn from their sins in repentance will be saved, that's when you must respond. God owes you no second chance. He is not an equal opportunity saver, nor is He the God necessarily of second chances. Let's pray. Father, this is a sobering warning to us. To all of us. It's a warning to all who haven't trusted in Christ. It's a warning to those who are self-deceived and believe because they're good, because they walk the aisle, or said a prayer, therefore, God will accept them. All those, just another work. And it's a sober warning to us who do believe that we dare not trample upon this salvation as if it doesn't matter and go on living in a way that doesn't please You And so, Father, help us to take heed. Wherever we're at, help us to take heed and to come to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, surrendering all I know of me to all I know of Him, laying down all my works and all my supposed righteousness at the foot of the cross, knowing that our Savior's arms were spread wide on the cross 
Not only were spread wide to receive the full wrath of God for my sins, but were spread wide to receive all who would trust in Him and embrace Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Treasuring Christ Church in Athens, Georgia. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not alter the content in any way without permission. Treasuring Christ Church exists to spread a passion for the fame of Christ's name in Athens and around the world. We invite you to visit Treasuring Christ Church online at tccathens.org. There you'll find other resources available to you and information about our upcoming gatherings.